everybody. This is Mark. Welcome to another episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. I know, I know you thought I disappeared, but I didn't. That's actually impossible. I just may have been out of sight for a little while. Anyhow, it's been a couple of weeks since we had an episode, and I've had so much going on. Some stuff I want to share with you, some stuff that would bore you to tears if I did, but... Today, I want to talk a little bit more about God with you, specifically about how we're presenting God and two sides of a coin, two sides of a coin, and maybe a third option. You know, a coin has two sides, but it also has that ring around the outside, and that ring is kind of where I want to focus on. Sometimes, I get a little bit weary and frustrated trying to untie theological knots that have been put in place. Also wondering whether or not I'm just completely out of my mind. But I know that the things that I'm saying and the work that I'm doing is having an impact on some people and I'm going to keep doing it as long as God gives me the breath to do it. And you're a big part of that. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode as well as all the other episodes that you joined me on. I'll get it out here in a minute. Anyway, just a second, we're going to dive into this discussion today. Two sides of a coin and the ring around the outside edge on today's episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. Coming your way in just a moment. You know, one of my favorite Disney movies, the old Disney movies, you know, the ones they're not allowed to talk about anymore, the ones they're not allowed to show anymore because of culturally inappropriate or whatever, you know, things that they have to put on Disney Plus. Uh, One of my favorite ones is Blackbeard's Ghost. I just love that movie. I have since I was a kid. We used to rent that from Blockbuster. Do you remember Blockbuster? Do you remember video rental facilities where you would actually go in and rent VHS movies and then you'd get some pizza it was a big deal like going to the going to the movie store the movie rental store and renting movies for two or three days and then you'd watch them as often as you could before you had to take them back and one of our favorites to rent was Blackbeard's Ghost and in that movie the character who plays Blackbeard has been cursed by one of his uh, previous witch wives, uh, one of his wives, which was a witch. And she cursed him to be in limbo until there was found in him some spark of human goodness. And she just knew that was going to keep him in limbo forever. And throughout the course of the movie, as the hero of the movie uh, finds this spell book and and says the spell and brings Blackbeard to uh, visibility in his eyes only and out of limbo. And they go on a quest to redeem Blackbeard from limbo by helping him to do some good thing. And no matter how much he tries to do, he keeps messing things up. And there's a scene in the movie where after all the effort, bumbling as it was, he said, I perceive now how truly hard it is to do a good deed in this world. So discouraged. So discouraged. Sometimes that's how I feel. At least the mindset, the mentality is how I feel as a pastor 
who for the last almost 10 years now, but really heavily in the last six years, has been working hard to untie a mindset that has gotten deeply ingrained into the hearts and minds of God's people that I think is damaging. I think we've seen, I think we have seen and paid a price for this mentality and this mindset that we're not even uh, paying attention to. I think that behind a lot of the damage in the church has been this mindset. And I'm working hard in my own small ways to undo it and to help correct it. But undoing deeply held beliefs and mindsets is a slow and tiring work. I'm encouraged, though, that when it comes to young people, they're getting it. They're getting it, and it's starting to make it a difference. And I'm encouraged by the adults who are starting to get it and understand. I'm discouraged by those who seem reluctant to let go of what they believe, even if it can be demonstrated to them that it's harmful to others, that they cannot hold the belief consistently. It doesn't matter. And what do you do when your songs, your hymnody, and your, and your Christian bumper sticker slogans, and, and so much of everything reinforces that mindset? It can feel like swimming upstream, swimming against the current. And then the enemy says to me sometimes, why are you even trying? You can't make a difference. And who do you think you are anyway? I'm speaking here in this case specifically about the mindset and theology and teaching around the nature of God and the sinfulness of man and how God actually really feels about sin and sinners and whether or not God is wrath or God is love. Uh, almost the most popular episode in this podcast series is the episode earlier this year in which I, which I entitled, What If God Actually Loved You? I think there's a reason that that is the most popular episode with only one exception of an episode that's been in existence longer than that one. But it's, it's climbing, and I, I believe it's, so, it's soon to be the number one listened to episode on this podcast. And the question, what if God actually loved you? And I think it might be popular for two reasons. One, because people are relieved to find out that maybe God actually does love them. And then there are others who have listened to it in an attempt to undermine it or, you know, criticize it or do away with it. But I'm not going anywhere on this. I believe this. And the more I study it, the more I preach it, the more I teach it, and the more I'm seeing the impact that it's having on people's lives the more it seems that I'm feeling the smile of God on this, on this teaching. But there are kind of two sides to this, to this coin. There is deeply ingrained in the hearts and minds of those who hold uh, uh, this view that God the Father is offended by our sin that he hates sin, and some would even go so far as to say he hates sinners, and that he wants nothing to do with us, that it offends him, that it's a stench in his nostrils, and that the only way that he can have anything to do with us is through Jesus Christ. 
I heard a man who now pastors the church where I went to Bible college. He has been saying, uh, or I haven't listened for, for months, but but he had said, and I've heard several sermons by of him, where he said that the only way that a holy God can love us is because of Jesus Christ. And it's a mystery how a holy God could, could love us. Now think about that, loved ones. It's a mystery. Like we don't have the Bible. It's a mystery why a holy God would love us. The only reason it's a mystery is because you have swallowed a theological system of belief about that God and ignored what I think he wrote and spilled all over the pages of his word and demonstrated through his son. It is not a mystery that God loves us because God is love. And God has always desired our good. Now, with this system is the mindset that because we're just filthy, rotten, worm sinners, because we're just wretches and we're of no value whatsoever, except that Jesus uh, Christ died for us. And so because of what it cost God's son, then now we have value somewhat because of Christ. But, you know, it's a mystery, blah, blah, blah. And, and this this idea that uh, that therefore God only desires, the only thing that God wants from us filthy, rotten sinners is just that we would recognize his awesomeness, his intrinsic awesomeness, and that we would just worship him forever. So I heard a pastor in New Hampshire in the last week who used to be um, independent Baptist, and now uh, has fallen in love with Reformed theology, which I hate, by the way. I literally despise Reformed theology. Have I told you that? I despise it because it teaches about a God who doesn't actually love you. He never loved you. He only loves himself. And he wants you to notice how awesome he is. I hate it. I despise it. It damages people's view of God and it drives people away. So I cannot stand it. I want no middle ground with it. I want no association with it. I despised, I despise that mindset. I don't care how godly you think the men were who created that system. I hate it. So there, I said it. And I hate it because God is love. And love desires the greatest good for the object of its love. And what's best for itself as well. And because God is love and chooses to love, we can take comfort in that fact that he loved us even when we were sinners, he loved us. He never, there was never a time when he didn't love us from the time we were born until now. He loves us. So a pastor said, you know, some people don't want to go to heaven. They got this idea of heaven, that heaven's going to be this grand place where you're going to get to do all the things you love to do here. No, heaven is a place where we will spend our time worshiping at the feet of an almighty God. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, just puke, just shut up. Let's stop that nonsense. Nobody thinks that's exciting. Okay. Nobody thinks that's exciting except for theological Pharisees who this is their this is their broadening of the garments and and broadening of the phylacteries and standing on street corners praying loud prayers for a pretense that they may be heard just stop it god is a god who desires relationship with us 
There's nowhere in scripture that says we're going to stand around the throne of God for all eternity and just worship and bask in his glory. God is restoring Eden. The God you're talking about created Adam and Eve and put them in a garden to dress it and to keep it. And he had relationship with them and they gave, he gave them work to do. And there was fellowship together. And he's going to restore that, that what has been lost one day in the new creation. Oh, so just stop telling people that. Because if I was, I am saved. And I think that sounds more like hell than heaven. To just stand around a throne all day long saying, holy, holy, holy. Because that's not the way God presents it in scripture. It's a theological system, not Bible. God is a God of love. He actually does love people. And he loves sinners. And he desires a relationship with them. From the time of the fall of man, God has set about a system in which he desired to redeem and to ransom. Because listen to me, loved ones, you who are listening to me, whether you are saved or not saved, God loves you and desires to set you free from sin. If you are, a, if you are unsaved, you are in bondage and God desires to set you free. Jesus Christ came to set us free from sin. He didn't come to placate the anger of a wrathful God who demanded blood sacrifice. He came to condemn sin in the flesh so that people in the flesh could live unto God. He came to reconcile us to a God who loves us. Well, then there's another side to that coin that people have, and that is, well, if God isn't angry with us, then maybe we should take a, a softer view of sin. And I think that's somewhat what underlies the well-intentioned view of people who take that hard line of an angry God who can't, the only reason he can look at you is because of Jesus Christ kind of stuff is because they're afraid that some will take that and make sin not sin. And they're not wrong. Some people do. They, they, they say, because God is love, then everything's okay. But everything's not okay. God can be loving, and he is, and not think that everything therefore is okay. That is an abuse and a misuse of the idea of love. Love as it's presented in the Bible, as I've said, love seeks the greatest good for both itself and the object of its love. Paul said it this way. He said, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it. And that's the kind of love that is supposed to be given, in that case, to a spouse. So, if you love yourself truly, you will seek what is best for yourself and you will seek what is best for those around you. Sometimes that means in seeking their good that you actually undermine what's best for yourself, but not out of a desire to hurt yourself, but in sacrifice and that itself is love. But love is not saying because I love you, you can do whatever you want and I just accept it. God loves you but he is always looking to redeem you and deliver you from bondage to sin because god knows that sin is not good for you listen sin does not offend the honor of god that is a medieval idea in that uh 
with with knights and kings and so forth and that medieval honor culture that's actually when this theology first began to be developed it was developed with anselm and his satisfaction theory which grew into a substitutionary satisfaction theory which then grew into a penal substitutionary satisfaction theory but it all started with anselm in the medieval period with the idea of honor that sin offends the honor of god so you're offensive to god and and honor can only be satisfied when when a price is paid so god doesn't freely forgive but just forget all of that nonsense leave it with king arthur and the knights of the round table god is not offended by sin the reason sin breaks god's heart is because god as as a loving god desires only what is for our good and so he knows that sin causes us to miss the mark. Sin causes us harm and pain and suffering. And God says, I want to set you free from that because he said, I am come that ye might have life. That is for your good. Even the law of God, the law of God was not given to teach man that they couldn't keep it. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but the law was not given just so man would say, well, look, we just can't even keep this thing. God said to the children of Israel, these laws are for your good good. Now that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day, but even the laws were for their good. He said, do these things and you'll live. That was a genuine, that was a genuine thing. And those who did, those who obeyed God received the blessings of God because God has always trying to find ways to redeem us and protect us from the harm of sin that has been injected into the world through rebellion and through the enemy. And God is trying to redeem and win and, uh, and ransom and deliver us from bondage to sin because sin brings death. But God desires life. It's the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life. So God desires our good. And because of that, those things which are sinful that are contrary to God's good intention that bring pain and suffering into our life, God says, don't do those things because when you do those things, uh, when you sin, then uh, suffering is a result of it. And you need, and when you do that, you sell yourself into bondage and you need to be delivered from that bondage. But God is a God who loves. God is a God who, who, just, who forgives those who in repentance come to him. God is the God of the story of the prodigal son. The father who was always looking for his son to return. And when he did, he threw his, he threw his arms around him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And he said, I'm so glad you're back because the father always loved the son. And it broke his heart what sin did to his son. That's the God. It's not the God that is often presented in our churches, but it's a God who actually loves you. Someone said to me recently, well, pastor, I hear you, but the Bible does say God is angry with the wicked every day. And it's true that the Bible does say that. So what? The Bible says a lot of things. What do you think that means? And this person said, well, that means that God is angry with, with unsaved sinners every day. I said, no, it doesn't say God is angry with sinners every day. 
It says God is angry with the wicked every day. That's the problem. See, that's that theology uh, uh, poking itself back out again, that on the basis of uh, original sin, on the, race, on, the, on the basis of Augustine's original guilt and original sin, that, we're, that in Adam we all sinned. We're all guilty of Adam's sin. We're born wretches, like Vody Bauckham says, little babies are vipers in diapers. I can't think of anything more hellish than that, but that, there you go. Uh, little babies are, are innocent before God. But the point of the matter is that when in that passage where it says God is angry with the wicked every day, there's also a group of people in that passage that are called God's people. They're also sinners, by the way, but they're not wicked. Wicked people, we, we take that, the, again, because of theology, not because of scripture, the failure to recognize that not all sinners are wicked. All wicked people are sinners, but not all sinners are wicked people. Wickedness is a classification of people in scripture, usually people who are in positions of power and authority, who use that power and authority to inject pain and suffering and evil into the world and upon other people. They're in direct rebellion against God. That just because you told a lie yesterday doesn't make you wicked. Wickedness in the Bible, again, are those people who in rebellion against God and fully aware of what they're doing and delighting in causing pain, inject pain and sorrow and injustice and grief into the world. God is angry with them. Why is he angry with them? And by the way, who are they injecting it upon? They're not offending the honor of God. They're injecting it upon other people who are also sinners but are not wicked. The people that are classified as innocent people. People that are classified as righteous people. People that are classified as the poor and the needy and those under their care. God was angry with the shepherds who destroyed the flock, but he wasn't angry with the flock. God is angry with wicked people every day. Because the heart of God is to deliver mankind from the pain of sin. And those people who set themselves in opposition to God and purposely inject pain and suffering, and they do the lusts of their father, the devil, and they hurt people, and they're purposeful about it, and in pride and arrogance and wickedness they do it. God is angry at that. But even those people, God says in Ezekiel, he said, I don't, want, I don't take any pleasure when they die. I would rather that they repent. But you look at the list of what God calls wickedness in Ezekiel, and you'll find out, again, it's those who purposely are corrupting God's good world through injustice and through uh, a heartache and pain and suffering that they're injecting into the world where they have the ability to do otherwise. All of us are tainted by sin. All of us are affected by sin. All of us have a propensity, even I'll, I'll, let you, I'll, I'll grant you that, to sin. That given time, every single one of us will sin at some point in our life. But that doesn't make us wicked. So God is not angry with sinners every day. So there's no need to say, well, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. That's partially true. Yes, God is love and he desires good. That's why God hates sin. And that's why God desires to deliver us from it. But so when you fail today, when you sin today, when you miss the mark today, God the Father is not angry with you. If you're doing it out of rebellion and you belong to him, he's dead sure going to chasten you. But he desires what is for your good. And he knows that when you go against what he says is for your good, that it will inject suffering into your life, that it will inject not good into your life. So two sides of the coin. One side is this idea that God is a vengeful, wrathful, angry, 
God who hates sinners, that Jesus Christ has to throw himself before in, in between us and a wrathful God and take our wrath in his place, which again is a nonsense uh, point of view. It's nonsense. It, it deserves to be forgotten and buried and left. Now, it's not going to be because I think the devil loves us having a view of a God who's angry and wrathful like that because he knows that many people don't want anything to do with a God like that because he knows if God is presented as a God who truly loves us and desires a relationship with us and desires our good, well, people might actually like that. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is those who say, well, because God is love, then the church can't take a hardline stand against sin. No, the church should take a loving hardline stand against sin and, and, and risk being uh, offending even those who are in rebellion against God because we know that sin actually brings harm on humanity, both into creation and into our families and into our cultures and into our societies. So we say God loves you and he loves you even though you're a sinner, but his desire is not that you would stay that way. He's looking to set you free from sin. The big sins and the small sins. So that every day I'm looking for God to continue the work of sanctification and setting me free from sin in my life. And I know that process won't be completed until uh, the, the victory is complete in Jesus at his return. But nonetheless, God loves me and is seeking to set me free from the bondage of sin. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm already not in bondage to sin anymore unless I voluntarily submit myself to it, according to Paul. And then harm will come into my life and into my world that God does not desire. And in his love, he will convict me through the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ to repent of that sin and to bring me back to a place where he can bless me again because God always desires good. It's not about God saying, I'm offended at that and you ticking me off, dude. It's about God saying, I love you. I only want what's for your good. And if you take that shiny thing over there, that will hurt you. That will not be for your good. See the difference between an angry God and a God who actually loves us? Sometimes God has to tell me I can't have something that I want because it's not for my good. But it's only ever for my good. Never about a sense of God's holiness or justice or, or blah, whatever that is. God's not a narcissist. God's a lover. And because he loves, he takes a hard line against sin. And because he loves, he's angry with wicked people who purposely inject evil into this world. He's definitely angry at the, at the, at the devil who's behind it. And I just wanted to talk about that today for a few minutes. Because I wanted you to know. You don't have to feel in bondage to sin. God desires to set you free. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who have placed their faith in him have been set free. We have the ability to resist and to be set free from sin and to see one victory after another after another. And it's not always easy, but it, it, you, you can come to God when you've fallen and when you've failed and know that he's not angry with you. He's not offended at you. You haven't offended his dignity. And he doesn't just love you because Jesus Christ pretends to be you. And so he loves you for Jesus Christ. Loved ones, he creates created you. He loves you. He's always loved you. And he demonstrated that through Jesus Christ. This is love. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. 
He's always desired to free us from the bondage of sin and bring us back to himself. And he loves you today. I hope that helps you to understand why God can take a hard line against sin, but he's not sitting up in heaven angry and wicked and, and sharpening his arrows. That he, that he might not be angry at that, at that unsaved person at, at work today. He loves them. God does get angry at leaders, both pastors and state and federal and world leaders who purposely inject harm and who use lies and deceit and greed and avarice to inject harm and pain into this world. God is angry at them and we should be too, especially the darkness behind it. We should pray against it. We should work against it. We should preach against it. We should love like God loves and that is to desire to see good come in God's creation to see God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that God's good world and God's good intentions would be accomplished in our life. God loves you. You belong to him if you've trusted Christ. He has set you free and redeemed you. Live in that freedom, loved ones. Live in all the good that God has intended for you and recognize that when you sin, you're seeking and, and, and participating in something that will rob you of the good that God has for you. So come to him and say, Lord, Father, I made a choice today that injected evil into my world, into your world. I know that you love me, though, and you only desire my good. Help me, Lord, to walk in your light and experience all the blessings that obedience to you brings because you desire good. Well, I think I've probably gotten myself into enough trouble here today. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. So, I would love to hear your thoughts, maybe. I would love to hear your responses. But more than anything else... I would just love to know that you stop listening to this episode and take a moment and look at God and say, thanks for loving me. Thanks for desiring my good. Thanks for sending Jesus to set me free so that I could experience all the good you have for me and be set free from the bad of sin. And if that's the case, I praise God if that's been done in your life today. And I look forward to being with you again next time on another episode of this Poor Pastors podcast. Have a good week, everybody.